Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people not hair and skin types, personalization is rooted in everything they do from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I use the review and refine feature and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Tech-Kyle. And we've read all seven books on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A 12-foot troll may be one of them, Vanessa, but recording a podcast over five years every week also feels like the kind of thing that we're now like bonded for life. I know. When I picked this quote, it was like we were friends before, but we've now gone to sibling. It's true. So it's like there's some things you can't share without ending up as siblings and recording a podcast about Harry Potter for five years (laughs) is one of them. So everyone, this episode comes out on Thursday, March 25th. And if you are listening today before 7 p.m. Eastern, you can still join us tonight. We are going to be doing a live episode of Book One, Chapter One. And it is Casper's last recording with us on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We're doing a big send off for Casper. If you can't join us tonight, no worries. That episode will be in your feed next week. Please come join us. It's going to be so much fun. Harry Potter Sacred Text, click on the orange button that says goodbye, Casper. And hello, Matt. 
After this live episode airs next week, we'll take a two-week break, and then Vanessa and Matt will be starting off their journey through the books together, reading book one, chapter one again. And soon after that, they'll be doing an outpost on race and Harry Potter specifically. So if you're a person of color who has thoughts on how you feel represented or not in the book series, please send in a voicemail, and Matt and Vanessa will really look forward to hearing from you. And for that episode, we are going to be joined by Naomi Westwater, who's actually teaching a class for us about wizard supremacy and the representation of white supremacy in the Harry Potter books. So to find out more about that class, go to NotSorryWorks.com and please send us in voicemails. We would really love to hear from you. So, Vanessa, we've often talked about the early years of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, right? What we actually did together. But I wanted to return to at least what, for me, was one of the inspirations for starting this podcast with you and even turning towards the Harry Potter books. And I'm remembering how this kind of like little seed of an idea started when I was on a family trip to Indonesia. It was a really interesting, beautiful trip because my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was born in Indonesia. He was the son of a Dutch colonial administrator. So my expectations and hesitations were quite significant about going to this place, right? My own family history is wrapped up with colonialism. And at the same time, I was going to see a part of my grandfather's story, which I'd never been able to. So was my mother. So it was like a very intimate, complicated trip. And I, I was just a little hesitant. Plus, like, it's really far away. And so, you know, all the usual things about going to a new country where you don't speak the language and and don't really know anything. And, you know, three weeks with your entire family is... <laughs> It's enough to make anyone want to just have something else to pay attention to beside one another. And so I thought, well, what will be something that gives me pleasure, but also gives me a source of comfort and familiarity in the midst of lots of of strangeness and maybe some complicated, difficult feelings that that I want to feel. But nonetheless, I want to have something to to accompany with that. And so I thought, well, I'm going to bring the first two books of Harry Potter. I hadn't read them in a decade. And I was... I hardly dare say this, but like I was a little sheepish about it because especially those early books, they're really children's books. And so I was like, oh, what will people think? Like, what will my family think? I'm, I'm, you know, grad student at Harvard Divinity School and here I am with a children's book. But I cannot tell you how wonderful it was to read those books as I was spending so much time with my family in this beautiful, intense experience together. And what struck me as I read those early books was that the interests I was having in the classroom around how do we build community around shared practices? How do we find a narrative that helps us be courageous in the real world? And how can I claim my own sense of spirituality, even though I'm a gay atheist? You know, that's the language I would have used at that time. And in the midst of all of that, how can I claim something that's mine? Like I keep learning about the Bible and I'm learning about all these beautiful traditions and practices, but they don't feel like they're mine. Literally opening page one, chapter one, book one, and reading those first sentences, I was like, oh, this is something I can claim. Like, this feels like it's authentically mine. And it felt like being at home in the world while I was in the most foreign place that I'd ever been. And that is something I've never let go of. And I think it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about these texts, but about this project as well, because it's been part of my spiritual home as well. Having this practice of talking with you about these books with our wider community, helping guide us and and finding new meaning in, in the text and in our lives. 
And so as we look back at reading the whole series, right, we're looking back across all seven books in this conversation, feels like coming home again, even though, you know, we're older, the world has changed, our community has grown. It's such an incredible location to look at these books with, because we're looking at them from the end backwards, and yet also from the beginning forwards. Casper, I have to tell everyone this story that I think it was right around the time you left for Indonesia. I heard about you, not from you. Really? Which was from our mutual friend, Lauren Taylor. You two were in a New Testament class together. (laughs) The professor started lecturing about the anti-gay rhetoric in the New Testament. And I wasn't there. But according to Lauren, you went... (sighs) really loudly in this like hundred person class and the professor said something to say Casper and you said something along the lines of we all know that this part is garbage like why are we even talking about it I like to imagine that that happened like right before you were like what is my text what is a text that also isn't perfect just like the bible's not perfect but that i can claim more authentically as my own i don't know if those two stories are interlaced to you it's just it's a story that made me fall in love with you from a distance i wasn't doing it meaning to be heard but i was like do we have to like come on but turns out everybody really heard <laughs> Well, Vanessa, let's go right back to the beginning as we were setting off on our reading adventure. I think back to that time and I think about the hopes that we had. Can you remember why did we want to do this? Because I think that will help us look back and see, did it work? I feel like there were like these Venn diagrams of hopes. I can isolate the hope that overlapped with you and the hope that overlapped with Ariana. And I cannot remember a single hope that I had on my own. (laughs) I remember what I wanted to do that overlapped with you was show people that you could really actively try to cultivate being a good person with strong values, with an orientation of love of neighbor without traditional religion. Mm. And that we also wanted to say there are things from religion that are great and beautiful and that we want to use Mm. all of the good stuff of church. And so I feel like that was the thing that overlapped with you. And what Ariana and I overlapped with, I think she and I had really similar experiences graduating from college and just like falling into abysses of depression. Mm. There was art that sustained both of us through that time. For me, I read my way through like the classics and that gave me great comfort reading those. I would read for hours and hours and hours at a time and not talk to anyone. And Ariana became a really big part of Nerdfighteria. And we both felt buoyed by those Mm. texts. And so we wanted to create a text to accompany our former selves, to accompany people in tough moments. We're all always in the middle of a tough transition. Mm-hmm. Ariana and I, I think we're really interested and in not saying that you weren't, but like we were interested in accompanying people through these like painful periods. Mm. It's so helpful to remember that just that we can be with people in moments when it feels like maybe no one else can be there with them. And I'm very grateful to our community for letting us in in those moments. And to the Harry Potter books. Yeah. These books have really changed in my eyes in a lot of hard, hard ways. But my God, you can criticize them all you want and I want to. But the community around them, the gift of the ubiquity of them, the fact that I can talk to like a man in his 70s about them and then turn and talk to my eight-year-old stepdaughter about them. What a gift these books are. 
Yeah. And I think that was my other hope is that we would, by trying something new, or at least new for us, of taking these ancient practices and pairing it with a new text that many people loved, but nonetheless a new text, that we would still honor both the traditions that we were drawing from, and frankly, the teachers and the mentors who had inspired us and encouraged us. Honestly, I think that's one of my greatest joys is that it feels like we've continued a legacy in some way. We talked about this in in a recent episode, but that moment at our first live show was like 375 people were doing Lectio in pairs because we had passed on this thing that we had inherited in a way that felt worthy. That's another hope that I'm really proud of. And then Casper, along with our hopes, I'm proud that we decided like not to appropriate other cultures. Mm. And I'm proud of the people who we have included from the Muslim faith and from, you know, Wiccan practices and from Hinduism and Buddhism. But I wish that we had prioritized that more. Mm. And it's a tension that I know Matt and I are holding as we go into Mm. the new phase of the podcast. But like, I have real regrets that we stayed within Judaism and Christianity as far as our sacred practices. And not wanting to risk appropriation, we risk erasure. I do regret not doing that better. Mm. I'll say one thing that surprised me, Vanessa. Yeah. Really two things. One is the wide variety of listeners in terms of people's spiritual, religious, or atheist identities. This span from like very committed Presbyterian ministers, rabbis, and other religious leaders to people who are like, I'm really not religious at all, but this has helped me love the books and understand myself in in a new way. And I love having that span of people within one conversation. And most of the time, it really working very well and a lot of respect and curiosity being offered to one another. That's been so fun. And also the way in which the practices, you know, you mentioned the kind of maybe the limitations of drawing just on Christian and Jewish practices and the ones that we do. And at the same time, I feel like they've really been worthy of our repeated return to them. We joke that every sacred practice is our favorite practice, but that is how it feels. When we get to do a Lectio, we get to do a Chavruta. I'm like, oh, fun. That's just been such a joy. They're always helping me see new things or feel new feelings and understand more about the text and the the lives we're living. That's been something that surprised me. Oh, yeah. I remember when we started doing Lectio Divina and we were like, well, we're just going to randomly put our fingers somewhere. I was like, that'll last for two episodes and then we're going to start picking a sentence. Yeah. (laughs) And then, Casper, the other thing that surprised me, and I'm really trying to give this a lot of thought in this transition, Mm. is how angry I am at the books. Mm. I'm not sure that I thought I cared enough about the books to be this mad at them, Mm. but I've just seen how much J.K. Rowling and these books have hurt people I love and care about. Yeah. This is something that Stephanie and I articulated about Jane Eyre and that I know to be true about my relationship with Jane Eyre. I do not think that book is perfect at all. I think it is racist and patriarchal and colonialist, but I love it so purely and it was written so long ago that I can forgive it so much more easily. Mm. In these books, I'm realizing that part of being in a relationship in a sacred relationship is anger and disappointment Mm. and like loving something Mm. does not mean excusing it and that has just shocked me this is the first relationship i've had with the sacred text where i'm like i'm mad at you you in many ways are like not worthy of like the people i love's attention i didn't think i cared enough about like anything to get this mad at it yeah absolutely and i feel like reading them in this moment like this historical experience has only 
exaggerated that inadequacy of the books. We should never get complacent with anything that we're reading. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Okay, so Casper, crack your knuckles time. Done. (laughs) Because we are going to do an all seven books recap. When we first started doing the classes, we did a three minute recap because we were reading like five to nine chapters at a time. So you are going to recap all seven Harry Potter books in the three minute time period. This does not need to be chronological. We are not going to have time to name every death. There's like a lot of deaths in these books. A lot of things that you love and that we love will not make it into the three-minute recap. I just want to name that. I will do my best. I am holding all seven books and so infusing their power into me so that I can diffuse it out into the microphone. I'm ready for my three-minute recap. Okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so um, the boy who lived, there's a little baby who gets delivered to number four Privet Drive, and there's a big motorbike and a big Hagrid. And the little boy grows up, um, 11 years pass, and he talks to snakes, and he has magical powers that he doesn't fully understand. And then one day he finds out, you're a wizard, Harry. And he gets taken to Diagon Alley, and the Dursleys are awful. Um, and he discovers a whole new world, and there's Florian's uh, like ice cream place, and there's um, amazing books, and like all sorts of amazing cauldrons that Percy has written reports on, even as a 
child. And then he goes to Hogwarts and oh my God, I can't believe it. Um, I've been sorted into Gryffindor and um, it's great. Um, so then he makes friends, Ron and Hermione. It's amazing. Um, but there's also meanies like Draco and um, the school year progresses and he is amazing at Quidditch. And then he um, um, realizes there's a three-headed dog called Fluffy and they're guarding something and he has to, oh my God, a minute has passed. Oh my God. Okay. And he has to get the Philosopher's Stone. Nicholas Flamel dies. Bye. Chamber of Secrets. Car drive. Flying, flying car. Whomping willow. Bash, bash, bash. Then um, there's a, uh, a terrifying scream because uh, Hermione's been petrified and the basilisk has been emerged and Ginny nearly doesn't survive, but she does because she's amazing and strong and um, forks the phoenix and pew, tears of the joy. Okay. Then Prisoner of Azkaban, you have a terrifying god uncle. No, godfather. Um, and he's an escaped con artist. No, he's not. He's actually your best friend who's sending you brooms. Um, but then he dies. But that's later. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban, time turner, time turner, and a time, and a time. And we're back. And um, the Hippogriff escapes. Amazing. Then we come to the best book in the series. It's the Quattro Wizard Tournament. We're starting with Ireland versus Bulgaria. And there are things called porkies. But most importantly, we meet Polyakov and his great friend, Victor Crumb. Um, and <laughs> Polyakov is having a whale of a time. Um, but he doesn't like the English food. Um, then um, Harry has to do all of these different tasks and the gillyweed is really complicated and Neville's there to help him. By the way, Neville's also great all of this time. You just didn't know it yet. Um, and um, Fleur Delacour is looking gorgeous but we don't talk about that because she's also fierce and intelligent and saves her sister. But um, also she likes Harry. Um, like, in a friend way. Um, and then um, um, there's suddenly the porky Cedric Diggory <laughs> kill the spur! And it's the best moment in the whole book. Come back for Angry Harry because Angry is allowed to be angry. I mean, Harry is allowed to be angry because it's freaking traumatic. Okay, Order of the Phoenix. There's been a secret battle under Dumbledore's orders all of this time to get rid of Voldemort but the battle is starting and the ministry is not trustworthy and no one believes him and we should believe him and Rita Skeeter is an absolute nightmare by the way Meghan Markle justice for, for princess um, and um, um, British press that's the link oh my gosh okay Order of the Phoenix they fight ministry um, dreadful thing serious dies Bellatrix is kind of like a bad but we don't talk about that um, then comes Hoplod Prince and Sirius is there but oh my god all of the Horcruxes and then book seven happens Deathly Hallows and Voldemort is dead and Harry is the one who lived wow I really didn't do justice to the last couple of books but I feel like we've been talking about them for a long time so I really wanted to focus on you know like Florian's ice cream cart you did such a good job with books one through four and a half. Wow, sir. I'm like both sweating and having like slight palpitations. It, that was a lot. Whew. Well, luckily, I'm not the only one doing the seven book recap, Vanessa. You two have three minutes to give us your view of the seven books. Are you ready? Well, you didn't make it look easy, so I'm more stressed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Three, two. One, go. So Minerva McGonagall is sitting on a wall and she's looking at Petunia Dursley and she's like, uh, this is not a great place for a kid to be raised. And the kid comes anyway and gets raised. And then um, there's a note that Harry's a wizard. Great, great, great. Who cares? They show up at school and Minerva McGonagall is like uh, sorting everybody. And um, Harry's in line with this girl named Hermione Granger. Sorry, Hermione Granger's in line with this boy <laughs> named Harry Potter. And she's done all the studying and she is so ready to just kick butt. And everybody's being really mean to her. But she ends up becoming friends with them, and then she ends up solving and saving the world. Not won't be the first time. <laughs> then she gets petrified, and she still saves the world. <laughs> then she's so good at everything that she gets a time turner. McGonagall gives it to her, and they um, 
And she is like, Harry, I'm willing to risk our friendship. You should not be using that broom. And McGonagall is like, Hermione is right. Give me the broom. And then they get into another fight. But the whole time, Hermione is trying to save Buckbeak from like a fate worse than death because he'd be separated from Hagrid. And she's just like busy solving things. She figures out who Lupin is and that he's a werewolf. And she's like, I don't care. You're beautiful. And then she um, goes to the Quidditch World Cup with them. And she's like, sports. But then she's like, oh, my God, how? Ourselves. This is horrible. We need to stop this. And everybody is like, yeah, but the food's good. And she's like, okay, but we have to really address this issue. And she's very supportive of Harry while he's in the Triwizard Tournament. She teaches him Accio and all these really important things. People accuse them of dating. And she's like, not ah. <laughs> Molly Weasley gets mad about it. And she's like, I would never hurt Harry. I'm perfect. Then in book five, she's like raising an insurrection against Dolores Umbridge is that happening in this one she is like super supportive of Harry while he has PTSD even though he's always yelling at her which is fair that he's angry but also like don't take it out on Hermione um and she is like she's like do you know what Harry we should do we should definitely start Dumbledore's army oh you should be the head of it (laughs) I am the puppet master um she's like oh Harry you're such a good teacher and she's actually the one leading the whole thing and like so sad things happen she gets on a thestral even though she's really scared of it and she flies and she just hates it but she's so brave and she does it all and then um and then they come back and Slughorn is her new teacher and she's like, why is Harry suddenly so good at this? Oh my God, he's like stealing from a book. This is dangerous and immoral and also I like to be the best. And this is like super stressing me out that I'm not the best. And Harry is like gone in the pensive all the time and she's like, I'm not involved enough and Ron is making out with Lavender all the time and that really hurts my feelings and I throw birds at him. And then Dumbledore dies and I'm so sad but I like steal some of his books because I'm smart. I've become Hermione. And then Hermione goes on this adventure adventure with Ron and Harry and she is like instrumental into saving the world and finally she's like Ron has become sort of worthy of me so she goes for it and she kisses him and then they end up getting married and having babies and she becomes the minister of magic oh yeah nailed it (laughs) got a little confusing there in the middle when I became Hermione I did not see that coming that's amazing there was really a spiritual moment where she and I became one wow that was the happiest I've ever been. And then it left me. The spirit left me. And I was like, oh, that was beautiful. But it's over now. So as we reminded ourselves of what actually happens in the books of themselves, let's take a moment and think about what impression are we leaving with as we finish this particular read through? I will say that this has been the most weepy I've been reading these books. Like I feel more emotionally involved, touched, connected to the story this time. And I think it's probably because of the pace and the intimacy with which we've traveled through them, but also because of the stories that so many people have sent in through their voicemails that help me see new depth and new resonance in the text itself. You know, when you've read a close reading of a passage and you've heard what it means to someone, every time you reread that passage, at least for me, I'm taken back to that person and that story. These aren't just books anymore in the sense of pieces of paper with words printed on them. The books have become like the Department of Mysteries, like with all of these, not prophecies, but like all of these stories and voicemails, like in every corner of the pages of the book. Yeah, I love the idea that like other people's stories have become part of our reading. And it's also the stories of like the smaller characters. Now, knowing some of the plot twists, when I'm reading it slowly, I'm seeing Mrs. Fig from the beginning and I'm looking at every detail of her behavior, knowing who she really is. 
I joked about Polyakov, but like it's a joy to think about those characters or like Kendra Dumbledore or like Seamus and just seeing them pop up in these different places or even knowing about them even in their absence. It just creates this much richer tapestry of what the Wizarding World is really like, right? You're not just following Harry and, and Ron and Hermione. They are navigating this rich, multi-dimensional, multi-character world that leaves such a richer image of the texts as well at the end of this reading. Oh my God, yes. And I think doing Women of Harry Potter for me, I'm like, do you know who's great? Parvati. Do you know who's great? Lavender. Do you know who's great? Katie Bell. All these quote unquote minor female characters, I'm just blown away once you start looking closely at them by how incredible they are and how much I want to know about them. I'm like, Angelina Johnson, I want to know everything about you. What do you go on to do after you graduate? You probably become like a kick-ass sports commentator or like, you know, world-known athlete. I don't know, but I want to. Yeah. Well, and that I think is such a testament to your commitment of blessing women in the books. Like it's constantly helped me see new perspectives of the female characters. That's just really cool. You know, the other thing, Vanessa, and this is maybe the wrong point to end with as I think about what impression I'm left with, but like evil is present the whole time. Mm -hmm. I think this is also about the context that we've been reading it in, but there is not a moment at the beginning of the books or at the end of the books when everyone is safe. There is always this lurking and sometimes very present, very fascist imposition of evil. It's made me wary of ever looking at any imagined world with only the sweetness and happiness and ease that we may be presented with. Like, I've really been forced to reckon with, like, theologically, what is evil? Is it something more than just the absence of good? Is it something more than just individuals making bad choices? Does it have its own desires for us? I don't know what to think about that. Maybe that's a question I'll bring for our new podcast. But there's something deeply unsettling throughout this story because it's so true. And I think that's something I'm leaving with real questions. Yeah. And now, Casper, we're going to do the long <laughs> view because it's all seven books. So it's really long. So this is when we try and look at a specific character or theme or object and look at it across the whole, usually we're just looking at one book, but now we're looking across the whole series. And I'm wondering what you want to draw us into in your long view, Vanessa. So my first one is like people's ability and inability to change. Mm. And I think we're given some stark examples, right? Like Dudley versus Petunia. Yes. Petunia does not change. She like hates Harry when he arrives. She hates him when he's gone. There's that like really horrible moment where she looks at Harry and like can't say anything yeah. in book seven. Whereas Dudley like has really gone through this change yeah. where he's leaving tea for Harry, right? Like it's just very sweet. I don't think you're a waste of space. Right. But it's more than yeah. that line, right? Mm. There's just like a lot of genuine concern from Dudley for Harry. And he was not raised to think that way. And so it's just beautiful. Mm. And then, right, like with Slughorn versus Malfoy, like Slughorn at the beginning of book six is like, I'm safe on the run. Leave me alone. Yeah. And then at the end of book seven, he's like running into danger, even in later phases of our lives. We can keep changing and surprising ourselves. And then Malfoy just slowly descends into cowardice hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't have any like reflection as to what makes some people able to change and other people not. Mm. Some people do and other people don't. 
It's so interesting because that feels very close to one of my questions, but I placed it specifically in Harry. You know, I've always told mm-hmm. the arc of Harry as this move from isolation to community or the, this move from feeling like he's all alone in the world to feeling like he can trust not just Ron and Hermione, but this whole wider network of friends and allies and and family, really, at the end. And I have to say, I am questioning the way I've previously looked at that arc much more at the end of this kind of long view. Yes, he is changing, like he is trusting more people. But at the same time, there is something about him that is always going to be different and always going to be separate from everyone else who he loves and who loves him. And reading the end of book seven this time really helped me see we're both always connected and always always alone. I don't want to tell a simplistic story of Harry, of of one from aloneness into relationship, because he also loses these people, right? Dumbledore, Dobby, Hedwig. I'm just seeing a much more, I guess, complicated and richer view of Harry's arc in terms of his relationships. A moment that encapsulates that contradiction to me is that moment at the end between Luna and Harry. Yeah. Luna has to be the one to offer help. Harry is still not going to ask for help, but he's built enough of a relationship with Luna that she knows him well enough to offer it. And he now feels comfortable saying yes. Yeah. That's such a perfect moment. Yeah. In that great hall. The other long view that, that I've just been pondering more about is this boundary between the magical world and the muggle world. On reflection, I think I as a reader, and frankly, the whole wizarding and muggle world, is stuck in this binary thinking that we've seen be so awful and violent to anyone who doesn't fit into a simple gender binary. Because if we look at the magical world, there is no place for people who are labeled as squibs. There is very little opportunity for mixed families to be living together happily and fully in both worlds, let alone before we even talk about other magical species. We're stuck in these categories that leave people imprisoned, I think. Both the prime minister in the muggle world who has to deal with the knowledge of the wizarding world without any understanding of it or anyone to share it with. And then you've got people living in Ottery St. Catchpole, like the Weasleys and the Diggories and the Lovegoods, who have this very small sub-community, but not a wider community. And that ends up turning into like those moments at the Quidditch World Cup, where when there's enough wizards and there's a few muggles, this very kind of violent tendency comes out. So I'm just seeing the way in which those categories that we've talked so much about in the house system, ending up creating these conflicts and divisions is also true at a macro scale. And the way in which that is not even talked about, really, apart from the the statue in the ministry towards the end of the books. And there is no sign that that has changed at the end of book seven. I love that. We know of so many mixed families, right? The Creevy family is mixed. Hermione's family is mixed. The Evans family was mixed, right? Like we know of so many families that have some magic and some not. I wonder if some quote unquote muggles have a little bit of magic. Mm. I wonder if Petunia is extra good at cleaning because she's like a little bit magical. Just we shut out all of those possibilities when we create a binary like you're talking about. Like Mrs. Fig is a squib, but like she's able to like radically not care what other people think about her. Mm -hmm. Like that's magical. These things exist at the margins all the time. Mm. So, Casper, I think maybe we should take a long view on our never going to be published book, Failed Pedagogy at Hogwarts. (laughs) It's such a great book, though. It's really been compiled over generations. (laughs) 
it has. <laughs> if I had to distill the failed pedagogy at Hogwarts into like a theory, it's that Hogwarts is more about the adults and the kids. Dumbledore is like, well, I need Snape close and Slughorn would be useful to have around. And Trelawney is a horrible teacher and Umbridge is not right to get rid of her the way that she does. But Trelawney should not be teaching at that school. And it is a school that is actually a support system for a lot mm. of teachers. Bins is a ghost who hasn't updated his teaching method in hundreds of years. Like he needs to stop teaching. Hagrid should probably not be a teacher, but like they love him and they messed up 50 years ago where it comes to him. So they give him a teaching job. Schools have to be about kids. And as soon as they're not about kids, there's something wrong. And I'm not saying that teachers shouldn't be protected, but like it has to be in service of the kids because that's what it's designed for. And I'm always interested when something says it's designed for one thing and does not operate in that way. That is my thesis about failed pedagogy at Hogwarts. And this is something I've really learned from a, a lot of black friends and teachers that it's easy to say, oh, the system is broken, right? But actually, I think Hogwarts is doing exactly what it was designed to do, which is not about education, but it's about control. It's about sorting kids into these different houses, which will continue their trajectory throughout their life. And it's enculturating children with these magical abilities completely away from their families, especially their families if they're muggle. And so it's enforcing that distinction that I was just talking about between the muggle and, and the wizarding world. And so I don't look at this as failed pedagogy. I mean, of course it is, right? Like it's failing in teaching the kids what we want them to learn, but it is actually succeeding, I think, in what the institution was set up to do, which was to build this separate society. I'm going to be much more careful about how I talk about whether this system is failing or succeeding, because I think I understand more about what the system was designed to do in the first place. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about too, that like Systems are people. Dumbledore could change things more. Yeah. Fudge could change things more. And not just the leaders. Like, everybody could be changing things more than they are. So, Casper, our final spiritual practice of the whole series, we thought it would be fun. This was your idea to do Florilegia with the first mm. sentence and the last sentence of the books. So I will read them to you in one order and then the other order, and we will see what we can make of them. Mm. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. All was well. <laughs> well, that's what the books would be like if Harry never got dropped off. <laughs> They're normal. Thanks for asking. We're doing great. Peace. Bye. And then Petunia started a ceramics class on Friday mornings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that does make me think about the way in which my birth, your birth, Ariana's birth, set off really interesting stories in our families and in the world. Just the way in which something, I guess, that could be seen as an interruption or like something new landing in the lives of the Dursleys just sets off this whole new story. And just like they're proud to say they're perfectly normal and are defensive about it, they would also be saying all was well yes. defensively, right? It wouldn't be true. They would be raising Dudley to like be v 
violent and uh, love his smelting stick, all of these other things, all these other dynamics would still be going on in that house. There would just be this story that they could tell themselves that they were normal and all was well. Even more so, like, even though Harry arrives, this is the story that they tell, right? Like, they're still telling this story to the world, even though there is a wizarding child living under the cupboard and the stairs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, during the books. I wonder what story they're telling at the end of the books. I wonder now that they're, like, Mm. sort of refugees on the run. I wonder if they're changed by that experience. I mean, what's interesting is that the text gives us Mr. and Mrs. Dursley and actually nothing about Dudley. And Dudley is the one who we see change so much. And I can imagine Dudley going to work for Amnesty International or something. You know, like, I think the experience of those last few years of his teenage years has totally shaped him. And he's reading Naomi Klein and like, you know, pointing to the systemic problems of the economy and human rights abuses around the world. Yeah, I also see bright things for Dudley. I love it. I would like to see him as a school teacher, but... Anything. Oh, yeah. Go Dudley. He could, he could change change the system. Yeah, totally. What about if we read it the other way around? All was well. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. So now I'm thinking of all was well as the first line of the series. Mm. What an interesting way to be invited into a book series. I would immediately be skeptical. Mm -hmm. If the book started all was well, I'd be like, chaos is about to come. (laughs) Whenever anybody says they're fine or well, like if you have the time, you should be skeptical of that. Like we should always just be skeptical of that. Mm. It's like at the beginning of The Good Place, right? Like the line that you see is everything is fine. And it's not. If somebody is telling you everything is fine... They are lying or trying to sell you something. It's so interesting. You know, we've read that first line of the book so many times, especially with close readings when we're running a workshop or we're doing it with a group. And so one of the things that I've discovered in one of those conversations is that the word privet also has this kind of reference to hedging and like, you know, hiding things. And of course, it has an echo of the word private. So it's about delineating space. And I'm thinking of the word well as a place where you can collect water, like it has this Mm. hidden depth. Right. Like I love that. As you said, like on the surface, right, like you might have this like ease, but underneath there's potential danger and also potential sustenance. Like if we let it up into the world. I love that. I had never thought of that. There's always new things to see when we read it as a sacred text. (laughs) That feels good that we've ended on that note, knowing that we'll continue with chapter one again when we're when we're with you all again next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. We now want to take some time to share the names and a little bit about people who have been lost in our community due to the COVID pandemic. We are going to list 20 names today because we are not going to be listing names during our live event and we're taking two weeks off, but the pace of the pandemic and the pace of grief is not slowing down. And so we're going to take some real time today. Karen, who's a beloved, admired friend and gamer. Jan Jarold, 70, who was a wife, mom, and grandma. Karsten, who was 90, and a loved father of three and grandfather of four. Robert, who was a patient with no visitors or contactable family and was 70. He loved country music and had a beautiful beard. Jean Dixon was 86 and was a warm-hearted sponge cake queen. Bob Engel, 95, who was a friend, grandfather, and proud World War II CB. James Hippelhauser was 59, a husband, father of two, an outdoorsman. Cosmos Magaya, who was 66, a Zimbabwean music teacher. Mari, who was 92, a grandmother, was sassy and generous. Beverly Ryder, who was 90, a grandmother, gardener, and writer. We also remember Jean Thomas, who was 89, a mother, grandmother, cat lover, and musician. Audrey Ellis, who just turned 29 days before she passed. She was beautiful, an adventurous spirit, loved, and a twin. Pat Amato, who was 87, the most delightful Italian pharmacist. David, who was 50, a father, funny, kind, socialist, and generous. Lyudmila Kozovaya, who was 67 and charitable worker for orphans. David Copeland, who was 69, a husband of 36 years, a father of two, and a grandfather of one, a kind and loving man. Maria de Jesus Martinez Hasso, who was 73, an aunt, a teacher, and jokester. Martha Cazares Castellanos, who was 65, a beloved aunt and life enthusiast. Mort Zulik, who was 97 and the last Zulik of his generation. And Sue Shaw, who was 95, a beloved mother and grandmother. May their memories be a blessing. So Casper, it's your last blessing as we look back on the last seven books. Who do you want to bless? Well, I'm going to bless Draco in part because of what you mentioned about him, that he hasn't changed. He hasn't healed. He's not at peace at the end of the books. Like his story is unfinished 
And I'm finding myself as I finish my journey, I'm like suddenly like holding on to it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't go. And of course, like I'm also complete, but I'm also not wrapped up in a bow. You know what I mean? Like every ending doesn't quite feel complete. And, and I think that's why I want to bless Draco, because I don't want his story to be over. I want to bless him, as I know I've done before, for the potential that he could still do something. Like it's never too late to turn towards the right choice. I think I find that so captivating because I think for me, that's also true. Like I know I'm not perfect and there's things that are still messy and not right. And I want to keep believing in that potential that I can still make things better. Even though in my heart, all the blessings are for Harry and Ron and Hermione and all the beloved characters. I want to kind of take this last moment of looking back to also include real challenges that we've encountered in the books. And so my blessing is for Draco. How about you, love? I'm going to bless Hermione. I was really haunted by the portrayal of her in 19 years later. The only thing we really hear from her is that Ron has lied to her about his driving test. Mm. And I just hope that your whole life, Hermione, if you're listening, isn't spent taking <laughs> care of men unless they are also taking care of you just as much. Like so much of book seven, she's like packed their clothes and gets yelled at for like not bringing the right size and it's her responsibility to make the food and she's just like always the caretaker mm. and I think Ron grows a lot in these books and I just think people can regress so Hermione I just really hope your whole life isn't spent taking care of men unless they are also taking care of you and I want you to expect more and demand more and I believe that Harry and Ron will rise to the occasion hmm. you've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text for seven books and 199 <laughs> chapters and owl posts and a million other things you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room and join our local groups and come join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You can leave an iTunes review and send us a voicemail. And we have a new podcast. Please go subscribe. It's called The Real Question. And we are so proud of it. Next week in the feed, you'll have us reading book one, chapter one in our live show celebration that's being recorded tonight. Come join us. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is the incomparably amazing Ariana Noblemann. We're edited this week by Juliana Bradley. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll and we're distributed by Acast. Thank you to Molly Baxter, Julia Argie, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Stephanie Purcell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones this week. I'm so grateful to have done this with you all. Thank you. Love you guys. Wild. Love you all. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And, and we've, we've read, read all, all seven. <laughs> but no, we should do it together. No, we shouldn't. No, we should not. <laughs> <laughs>